Philippians chapter 4, as I continue the message on what? Renewing the mind. Praise the Lord. A couple people remembered this morning. Renewing the mind. May I share something again with you? I feel that this series, God just brought it to my spirit so clearly this time that this series can do more to change your personal Christian walk than possibly any I've preached in a long, long time. If you can get this truth that I'm going to be sharing with you now down into your spirit, it will do more for you in your personal daily walk that no one else knows about than any that I preached in a long time. And may I just encourage you this morning, if you have a feeling inside of you that you don't want to listen, that you will implement these thoughts immediately. And when something tells you that you shouldn't listen to this, demand that you will. When something tries to preoccupy your mind with other thoughts this morning, forbid it in the name of Jesus and listen to these words. Because these words, this truth that God has shown me can do more to release you in your own inner spiritual walk than many a sermon that I've heard. I'm saying that because it's doing a new work in my heart and thrilling me day by day. That's why I said last Sunday I could hardly wait to see what I had to say because God has just shown me some, some beautiful things here that's been an encouragement to me. And I know I'll not be able to apply all the ramifications of it, but my belief and faith is in the fact that the Holy Spirit can apply them to your life. Philippians 4, 8. Read it with me. Finally, brethren, whatsoever things are, whatsoever things are honest, whatsoever things are just, whatsoever things are pure, Whatsoever things are lovely, whatsoever things are of good report, if there be any virtue and if there be any praise, think on these things. That's a very important verse for you to try to memorize. I've been memorizing it myself because it is a, it's a command, a, a last resort. Brethren, this is bedrock. Think on these things. Now, I said it as I, the premise and the basis I'm trying to get across to you is this. This is my hand. This hand obeys me. Whatever I tell this hand to do, it does. It points. If I say clench your fist, it does it. If I say reach out, it does it. If I say close, open, close, open, it obeys me because it's mine. And my eye is mine. It winks when I tell it to. It looks when I tell it to. It closes when I tell it to. In like manner, this mind is mine. And if God tells me what to think about, I must recognize that it's my mind and I will decide what thoughts will go through my mind. Please hear me. You say, Pastor, I've tried that. Then you have not understood that God said that we can think what we want to think. Because it's my mind. It's your mind. And we have to act on that truth. Now, it may be a struggle. It'll be a progressive thing to you. I have to keep emphasizing that. It's not going to be a sudden release. If you've been in bondage and brainwashed for years by the programming of Satan in your mind, it's going to be a struggle and a warfare, but you already have the victory. We've already won. We've read the last chapter in the book. Jesus Christ is victor. But once we can get this principle into our hearts, it is my mind, I will not think of those other things, then we're beginning to walk on some victory ground. Now, I know that this is impossible for the unsaved man, as I said, because he's unregenerate. The natural man cannot can perceive the things of God or even comprehend the things of God because they're spiritually discerned. And if you've never been born again in the Spirit of God, this cannot be applied to you right now because the Word says that Satan has you doing the things he wants you to do at his command, at his will, at his whim, when he wants you to. 
You say, Pastor Webb, are you telling me I'm devil controlled? I'm telling you that there are two forces in the world. The power of God and the power of darkness. There is no such thing as a self-made man. A man is either controlled and directed by powers of darkness or by the power of God. Now, he may be influenced by the light of the gospel in this society in which we live. But the very basic nature is controlled by either the power of darkness or the power of God. And that's why Jesus said, except a man be born again, he cannot comprehend the kingdom of God. Well, that's what the word of God teaches. Once we're born again, the scripture says you have he quickened who were dead in trespasses and sins. If you've never been quickened, you're still dead in trespasses and sins. Doesn't make any difference how good you may be, how good you may think you are, but if you've never been quickened by the Spirit of God, you're still dead and in trespasses and sins. Now, I have to emphasize that because some people say, well, Pastor Webb, I knelt at this altar. Doesn't make any difference. Unless you've been quickened, you're still dead in your trespasses and sins. But I confessed with my mouth that Jesus was Lord. You can do that. But if you've never yielded your life to Christ and repented of your sins and been born again according to God's word, you cannot comprehend the things of God and you've not been quickened and you're still dead in your trespasses and sins. I keep emphasizing that because time and time again, last week again, someone came and said, did you know that such and such went forward and made some kind of a decision at altar and for, I think it was 10 or 11 years, gave their lives completely to serving the church and doing everything they could in the church, calling on people, leading people to Christ, all these good things teaching Sunday school class, officers in the church, and after 10 or 11 years of doing this, they suddenly were brought to the reality of the fact that they still weren't saved. Think of it. 11 years of your life, down the drain, as it were, thinking you're saved and not saved. They hadn't been born again by the Spirit of God, and the Spirit of God quickened them and showed them that thing. That's why I say until you're quickened, you can't begin to understand what God wants to do in your life. Now, what is the purpose of a person? We talked about that last week. And the purpose for a person that has been saved is to bring glory and honor and praise and pleasure to God. Now, I know that God's going to get honor even out of the unbeliever, but when a person comes to Christ, the goal of their life should suddenly be to bring honor and glory and pleasure to the Lord, where we please Him. Not, Lord, you please me today and maybe I'll walk with you. Lord, you give me this and I might be faithful to you. But the opposite is true. The motivation of our life should be based upon what the Word says. We love Him because He first loved us. Now we display our love to God. And of course, I said last week that there's three ways to do that. First of all, to be willing to be obedient to the Word and grow in grace and knowledge in the Word. Study the Word of God. Know the Word of God. Get it down into your heart that you might be conformed into the image of Jesus Christ so that others see Christ in you. That's number one. Number two, that you might come into a greater sense and awareness of love within the body. This type of expression, one to the other, where you don't want to be without one another. You learn to love one another, even with your weaknesses and idiosyncrasies. I mean, you know that everybody else has got problems, but you've got to learn to have sympathy with them, even though, even though you and I don't have any problems. We've got to understand that there are some people in the world that do have problems from time to time, and we've got to be very patient with them. It's difficult for us who don't have problems, isn't it? Some of you nodded your head. <laughs> Maybe you want to come and take the pulpit. Boy, I've got problems too. But that's the second aspect, to learn to love the lovely. Is that what the word said? Oh, what does it say? Learn to love the unlovely. I know that, I don't know how I could have ever been lovely in God's sight, but He loved me. I think it was... One of the radio pastors one time said when he was in Bible college, he had a roommate that was the most cantankerous thing he had ever experienced in his life. 
And he said, I, after at the end of the semester, he said, I just want to thank God for you because God showed me how I could love the unlovely. He says, you, he says, you have just been the, made me the most miserable person in the world this whole semester, but I thank God for you because God put you in my life to teach me how I need to love the unlovely. I thought that took some boldness. <laughs> Still, that's the principle. The second principle, the third principle is that in faithfulness to God's Word, we share the Word with the world. That we go out and have a burden, a concern for those that are... What would have happened had not someone brought the gospel to us that the Spirit of God could have brought a witness to us? You see? If somebody says, well, you'd have gotten saved anyway, then the, the, my first reaction is, then let's all call our missionaries home and everybody stay here and keep our mouths shut and see if the world gets saved. You see, Jesus says we are to be His spokesmen. We're to share the gospel with us. We'll talk more about that later. But anyway, that's the, the aspects in, in the way in which we can bring glory and honor to the Lord. But the problem that we run into once we're saved is we're having difficulty with our mind, our brains being totally pre-programmed by Satan. We talked about that last week, that people say, I want to walk with the Lord, I want to be obedient to the Lord, but I have these difficulties, I have these problems. And so there begins what we've been talking about, and that's the text now, Romans 12, 1 and 2. I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. And be not conformed to this world, but be ye, what? Transformed by the renewing of your mind, that ye may prove that that which is of God is good and acceptable and perfect. And again, I tell you, I like the Phillips translation. It says in the second verse, and don't let the world squeeze you into its own mold. If ever there's a day and an age that I've ever seen the church being squeezed into the mold of the world, it's today. Because the world is refusing to have their mind renewed by transformation through the Word of God. It's a real struggle that they get people to come to what the Word says. But it happens. It's going to happen. And it's a progressive thing. We, first of all, have to have our minds renewed by the Word of God and to the Word of God. It's the Word that's going to bring light to us and cause us to see God's view of truth. And then when we submit ourselves to the authority of God's Word, we will have a renewing of the mind to the Word. Well, I know this is what the world says, but this is what God's Word says. I am renewed in my mind. I'm being transformed by the renewing of my mind. I decide to choose what the Word says. Because the attitude of the world is hate. God says, no, you love. Now, how many of you just learned overnight that no more problems with hate? From then on, you've loved everything and everybody. Uh-uh. Seems like about every time I think I've learned that question, God takes a hold of the strand of my hair and pulls me through another keyhole and says, you're going to learn it again because I mean I want you to be submitted and renewed in your mind concerning this, to love. You know, there was a time when I was filled with hatred. I could hate with a vicious hatred, I, uh, with vengeance, with anger. I would reply to most people if they just said the wrong thing or acted the wrong way. It was an automatic thing that happened within me. Now, that didn't change immediately. The change came, but it was a progressive thing. Every time a new situation would come up, the old flag would start to go up and the Spirit of God would say no. And that's a progressive thing. It happened in my life and still happening in my life. Well, that's what I'm talking about. It's not overnight, presto, instant perfection. But it's a daily submitting to the Word of God. And then when it comes to obedience, we talked about this last Sunday night, that we have to have our minds renewed in regards to what it means to worship God and being reverent. Reverent means clapping your hands if the Word of God says so. It means dance before the Lord if that's what the Word of God says. It means speaking with other tongues if it means to edify yourself even though your understanding is unfruitful. If the Word says it, 
and Paul says, I desire that you do it and don't forbid to speak with tongues, then I'm not being reverent if I'm not obedient to the word. And you say, well, I don't understand that. That's the unrenewed mind. He didn't say when you understand it and you comprehend it completely, then do it. He said, do it. Now, you see, I'm talking about the renewed mind. The renewed mind to the word of God will respond to the word of God. And we went through all the struggles that I went through last week and I was telling you. Now, when you and I become renewed to and by the Word of God, the world is going to look at us and think we're a little bit weird. They may even think we're crazy. But that's exactly what they thought of the Lord Jesus too. And the more I see that take place in my life and yours, the more we'll be able to say, we evidently are getting to be more like Jesus. Now, when I say that, I want to immediately, of course, a little red light goes off in my mind because... You'd be amazed how some people pick up something and give it a wrong application. I'm not saying we're all supposed to go out and cut off all of our buttons and all of our little gold pins and, and you know, uh, wear old burlap bags and everything to be weird that way. That's not what I'm talking about. I don't believe that Jesus dressed in a weird manner for his day. But I'm talking about the, the principles of your life are different. The goals of your life are different. The attitude of your heart toward everyone is different. Where the world says, go out and get it. Any way you can get it, get it. And you say, I don't need to go out and get it. The Lord said, if I honor him and I walk with him and I'm obedient to him, he'll cause blessings to run me down. And I'll wait on the Lord and I'll walk with the Lord. And if he says, move, I'll move. If he says, stay, I'll stay. And I don't know about you, but many, many times I have people come to me and say, Pastor Webb, do this right now. We need to do this immediately. And I think, Lord, is that what you're saying to me? We need to do it right away? And I know there are times when people think of me, well, what's the matter? Why doesn't he do this and such? You know, I can't until the Lord says do it. Now, the ideas may be fantastic. The thoughts may be fantastic. Some that the Lord hadn't brought to me before, but now they're in that old computer bank, and I say, Lord, that's a fantastic idea. Let's go on. He'll say, not now. now. I'm sure that some of you go through the same thing. Your wife will come to you. Say, honey, it's time to completely redo the living room. You say, not right now, you know. You know what I'm talking about. You know when God says to do something or not to do something. When we're really in touch with the Spirit of God, we'll know when we're supposed to do what we're supposed to do. And everybody will agree and say, hey, this is right. I believe that. Now, I've said all along, and I thank God for every person within this body. When we first came into the experience of the baptism of the Holy Spirit, I had the engine up here going snort, snort, chump, chump, blowing its whistle, blowing the steam and everything else. Let's go, let's go, let's go, you know. And these back here saying, oh, I'm afraid. I don't know. I know. I, I'm afraid to raise my hand. I don't want to clap my hand, you know. And, and they're out here saying, come on, pastor, let's go. And I said, hey, wait a minute. We're all one. You can't go until these come. We've got to work as a body. We've got to understand that there are the lambs here and the little sheep here that have to grow and come along with us. And you know, God's been good to us. We've had that happen. Although they're always out here, the wheels spinning and the smoke of flying, you know, they want to go. I thank God for them. But I thank God for these little ones too. And Jesus said, not only feed the sheep, but he said, feed the lambs. And we've all got to come into this understanding together. And with the fellowship groups that we're having now on Wednesday night, we're coming into that awareness of one another. I've had some people say, we ought to do this and this. And then I'd take that person calling with me and be in the home and somebody would say, you know, I really don't know exactly what to, how to understand these things that are going on in the church right now. And I say, well, don't, don't let it concern you. You're growing in the Lord. The Lord will show you these things. Oh, yeah, but I'm concerned about it. And when we walk out, the other person will say, boy, I didn't realize that, 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 that we had that situation in the body. I say, you see, that's why when a shepherd looks at the flock, if they're going to go somewhere, he makes sure that all the sheep are strong enough to go. 
or else he'll pick up a couple of them and carry them along. And we have to care for the whole flock. Now, we want to go on. This morning I want to emphasize this part in Romans 12 too, and be not conformed. Let me say first of all that that verb is what we would call in the Greek an imperative verb. Now some of you young people know what we're talking about with the word imperative because that was the word my teachers used to say to me when I was in school. It is imperative that you get here at 9 o'clock in the morning. My dad would say, you be here or else. But the teachers always said it is imperative. Now in the Greek, the imperative simply would be telling us that it's forbidding the continuation of an action that's already going on. Quit being conformed to the world. It is a very strong verb. Paul could not emphasize it any stronger with any other declension of the Greek that I know of. He said, this is to stop. Now let me ask you something. If we don't stop conforming to the world and we know that that's what Paul has said by the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, are we or are we not in rebellion to God? Paul, with an imperative verb, said, be not conformed to this world. If you and I are continuing to be conformed to the world, are we or are we not in rebellion to God? Amen. If we know what the Word says and we're in rebellion to that thing, we're, we're actually in rebellion to God. But the thing that came to me, and I, and I couldn't, couldn't get rid of it, I really wonder why many times we want to be conformed to the world. Why do I want to be conformed? Look at the world today. Look at the ones that they use as idols as far as following in the things of the world. I remember when back in the, what, 50s or 60s, we had what they called the Beatles. And we had young people that if they thought they could go see the Beatles, they'd go halfway across the country to see the Beatles. And they had Beatle records all over their house, and they almost looked like it. But I mean, that, that was their idol. That was their... Now, of course, today we've got new ones coming out. And then you look at them. Look at the Beatles right now, the, the ones that were Beatles back there before. And look at their lives. Miserable. Some of them have been popping pills, taking drugs heavily. You, you just see immorality rampant. You look at those that the, the world looks at as being fantastic that we should uh, use as our examples. And in most cases, they end up killing themselves or killing someone else, committing suicide or killing someone else, hating one another, fighting one another. Why do we want to be like the world? To look at the world. I mean, we, the, being conformed to the world and the world today, and I'm afraid, again, I say the word church is compromising with it. I told you this is one of the reasons why I'm emphasizing this message is because the inability for the mind today, the unrenewed mind today, to be able to receive what the Word of God has to say about marriage and divorce. But look at the world today. Some 46% of the marriages today, average in the United States, are going on the rocks. Why should we be conformed to the world? That's why, I mean, when Paul says don't be conformed to the world, he's not trying to take something away from us. It's not like a little kid standing there and us taking the candy away. It's like a little boy standing there and you're taking a snake away from him that's about ready to bite him. What does it mean to conform? I hope you'll learn this. It means to be masquerading in the mannerisms, the speech and expressions, the styles and habits of this world of which you are no longer representative. Did you get that? Let me read it to you again. What does it mean to be conformed to this world? It means to be masquerading in the mannerisms of the world, the speech of the world, the expressions, the styles, and the habits of this world of which you are no longer representative. In 2 Corinthians, the fifth chapter, Paul says, Now then, we are ambassadors 
for Christ. As though the world did beseech you by us saying, be ye reconciled to God. You see, the thing is, the, the world that's representative of the world today, Satan's children, those that are unregenerate, they don't think about the things of God. They're not representing God and his kingdom. And if God's people don't, who's going to? That's what it means here. It says, if we are not to be conformed, and that word conform means to be masquerading in the mannerisms of the world. We can get into an awful lot there. The speech, the expressions, the styles, and the habits of the world, which are no longer representative. Do you know any Christians that don't look, or don't sound, or don't dress like the Word? When you listen to them talk, do you hear Jesus? When you hear them talk, do you see Jesus Christ exalted and honored? Or do you see them trying to masquerade or trying to cover up the fact of their relationship to God and express things of the world, the ways of the world, the speech of the world, the dress of the world? I wonder if we conform at work. I'm sure that on Sundays we come here and say, bless the Lord, praise the Lord. Oh, now what is it? Uh, uh, I will bless the Lord at all times. His praise shall continually be in my mouth. And on Sunday night when we leave church, we hit the bed and we get up in the next morning and we go to work and we walk in and say, praise the Lord. This is the day that the Lord hath made. We'll rejoice and be glad in it. And everybody at work says, praise the Lord. Isn't that wonderful to hear him talk like that? Oh, it's wonderful to have Christian people around like that. Here you are at the plant or over here at Stromberg Carlson or down at NCR or wherever you work. And as you're standing there during the day, you say, I will bless the Lord at all times. There in the office, everybody says, wonderful to have the Lord's people around here, isn't it? You know, that's the way it goes. So right on Monday morning, right down the line, down at the Southern Truck, I see Harriet laughing down. She walks in on Sunday morning, praise the Lord. And all the ones working down there say, it's great to have a nice Christian person like this in here. That's what they do now. And you know something? We tend to compromise. We walk in and we might say, uh, well, praise the Lord. Isn't this a nice day? And somebody looks at us like, we don't need any of that. They say, there's a place for that stuff. You can just, you know, keep it in this place. So wonder we don't say, yes, praise God, there's a place for that. It's in the church, and I'm in the church, because Jesus is in me, I'm the church, and I'm just expressing what's in me. But we're intimidated to where we conform. The world looks at us and says, don't you praise Jesus in my presence. Don't you say anything about God in my presence. And they go over in the corner and they sit there and they begin to tell their filthy jokes and they begin to swear and to say all the things they want to say. And you're supposed to just go along with that. Now think about it. I'm not trying to be critical. I'm trying to get us to analyze something. It says, be not conformed to this world. And we walk in and we say, praise the Lord. They'll say, don't say that around here. And they go over and they start cussing and swearing and doing their own thing. Now if you'd come in and start reading some pornography or start swearing or telling filthy jokes with them, they'd say, that's all right, buddy. Now you're starting to learn. You've conformed. But if we don't conform that far, we'll conform to when they say, look, we don't need that around here. You say, well, I'll just try to use a little more wisdom here. No. I won't praise the Lord anymore out loud. Lord, I'll just praise you in my heart. Like what Albert Willis said. He said to somebody one time, he said, well, bless God. I'll tell you what, you worship your God your way, I'll worship my God my way. You go ahead and cuss to your God and I'll praise Jesus and we'll see which one's the strongest. John Osteen one time I heard was at a football game with his wife and children and they're sitting in the middle of the field somewhere and right behind them were three drunks and they were cussing and telling filthy jokes and drinking beer and slopping it all over down behind their back and everything. And finally John Osteen, if you don't know him, he's traveled all over the world and really loves the Lord. Finally he turned around and looked at those three men and he said, Praise the Lord! Praise the Lord! Praise the Lord! I mean, if they could cuss, he could too. So he just... Praise the Lord, praise the Lord, praise the Lord. He said he turned back around and 
sat there for a minute, looked around, and all three of them were gone. <laughs> See, we're intimidated many times. We're unwilling to declare what we believe. We're being conformed. That's called today, you know, using discernment and wisdom. You know, when I studied this, I began to realize that that's why God gave me so many opportunities to win people to Christ when I was a young Christian. I didn't have enough sense to know how to, you know, kind of curb it a little bit and refine it a little bit. I would get in the midst of people and I'd talk Jesus everywhere I went. But you know, once you get to Bible college and seminary, you become a little more dignified. You kind of slip it in on them. You don't hit them right between the eyes. You slip it in, you know, just slowly and gradually and easily. I used to make more people irritated at me as a young Christian. But you know something? I also saw more people get saved when they were around me. God's spoken to my heart about that thing. Don't be conformed. Are you conformed in school? Well, I don't dare talk about the Lord around here. Why not? Well, the rest of them won't like it. Well, do you like what they're talking about? If you don't like what they're talking about, why don't you speak up what you're saying? And when they say something, say, look, you worship your God and I'll worship mine. Ooh, the unrenewed mind. I can feel a struggle going on in this building right now. The unrenewed mind saying, oh, that's going to get into fanaticism. We're going to get into all sorts of trouble. Be not conformed to this world. And if we're conformed, we're in rebellion to God. Now, we're going to get into comparing it with the New Testament here before long. Let me ask you, have we conformed in our services to the Lord? In our church services? Have we conformed to the Lord there? You know, God spoke to me about this too. I, down through the years, have always tried to make sinners comfortable in my services. You know? Now, let's not do anything that the sinner won't understand, you know. Let's try to find some nice hymns. But I hope that nobody in the morning service throws their hands in the air, and I hope nobody claps their hands too much. I'm talking about what I came through, because they won't understand this. They'll, they'll want to go out. And certainly we don't want to sing in the Spirit because they might not understand that and they'll go away offended and something. Do you know something? If I were to go down here to the Club Juana sometimes, I'm sure they wouldn't say, girls, put on your clothes and let's sing It's a Small, Small World. <laughs> the preacher's coming in. We want to make him feel comfortable. If I walked into a, uh, one of these movie houses with triple X-rated movies, I'm sure they wouldn't say, fellas, turn that off and let's have some Donald Duck comedies tonight, because uh, Brother Webb's coming in. We don't want to offend him. But what do we do when an unsaved person comes into our church? All of a sudden we become stiff and cold and indifferent. And I want you to notice that I'm beginning to realize that if there's any place in the world they ought to feel uncomfortable, it's in the house of God. Around God's people to see that we're a different people. And if we want to worship the Lord and God says, worship the Lord, He says, worship me, I don't care who's around. You know, before I was saved, I felt horrible when I was in that church. My sister took me one night and I was so miserable I couldn't stand it. But you know what? The people didn't cut it down one bit. They clapped their hands and they did all those things they were supposed to do. And I was so miserable I was determined I was never going back in that church. But you know, I still got saved. But I've seen some people go into church services and they go in cold and dead and they go out just feeling like they didn't get any warmth at all. And they never get saved. And I don't care what somebody else thinks if I want to raise my hands anymore. And I don't care what someone else thinks if I want to sing before the Lord anymore. I don't care. When they come into this service, I want them to know this is where people have a chance to meet and worship God and get in practice what they should be doing all week. Now, if that offends you, then you need to have your mind renewed. I'm sorry. I don't think I have to be considerate of the sinner when he comes in. I have to get the word to him. And I have to let him know what it means to have joy in the Lord. I want him to know if he wants to know what a real happy hour is to get here between 11 and 12 o'clock or 6 and 7 at night. He'll know what a real happy hour is. 
If you don't know what happy hour is, you don't read signs. That's what the world calls happy hour. I know what a happy hour is. It should be 24 hours a day. Pray for me. I really believe that God is saying to us, look, if we're going to be a peculiar generation, a peculiar people, a chosen generation, then the world ought to be able to see it in our daily lives. All of our daily lives. Amen. I'm beginning to understand a little bit more what Paul meant when he said, be not conformed. And if we are conformed, don't expect the world to want what we've got. It's only when they see it in reality and they see it as it ought to be seven days a week, 24 hours a day, are they going to begin to want what we have. That's the way salt creates a thirst. That's the way light can shine. You see, if they come in and we're supposed to let our light shine and we drop a dark blue shade over it called respectability and being conservative, they don't see the joy of the Lord that's supposed to be our strength. Praise the Lord. I'm going to continue this message tonight. And I know some that need it won't be here tonight because every excuse in the world will come into their mind as to why they shouldn't be here tonight. There are many other things I want to share with you from God's Word concerning this verse. And we need to hear this, this series of messages. I trust you'll ask the Lord to help you to be here tonight and expect a blessing from it. Verses 1 and 2. Can we say them without even looking at them? Have you memorized them yet? I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. And be not conformed to this world, but be ye transformed by the renewing of your mind, that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. Now, can you try it with me? Can you say it with me? I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. And be not conformed to this world, but be ye transformed by the renewing of your mind, that ye may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. Important verses for us to learn. Father, in the name of Jesus, we thank you that you're going to minister to our hearts tonight, that you're going to cause the Word of God to be full and rich and meaningful to us. We know that James says that we're to be doers of the Word and not hearers only. But many times the enemy has kept us from being the doers because we didn't have a knowledge of our position and our victory and what we could claim and experience. In Jesus' name, cause us to understand in a greater measure than ever before all that Jesus has provided for us. And we'll bless you and praise you and thank you for it, our Father. And I know that it will bring honor and pleasure to you, which we desire to do in Christ's name. Amen. This morning we talked about Romans 12, 2. Be not conformed. And I said then, the imperative verb, says it forbids the continuation of an action that's already going on. Up until this time, we were not conformed. But he said, you hath he quickened who are dead in trespasses and sins. Which means now we can do all things through Christ who strengthens us. And that freedom that is ours is only ours as we step out in it by faith. Nothing is accomplished with God unless it's done by faith. Without faith, it's impossible to please God. Every step that you and I take in the Christian walk will only be pleasing to God when it's a step of faith based upon what? 
there's a chorus that says God said it and I believe it then that's good enough for me and that's the premise upon which we have to move out God shows us something in the word I don't understand that Lord it just doesn't seem like it could possibly be but you said it in your word so here I go and we step out see and every time we step out on the word of God it's going to work as you're starting to step, Satan's going to say, don't, you're going to go under, it's going to explode, you're going to hit landmines, everything's going to fall apart. And that's when you have to find out if it's really faith. Because about the time he thinks you've found a new truth, he's going to bombard you to keep you from having victory in that truth. This past week, we had the privilege through discerning of spirits by one of the body, had opportunity to minister in deliverance to a dear sister in the Lord from the body here. And through discerning of spirits, we saw a beautiful release and victory where a report since then has come back to where in as much as she had had been having pain from arthritis and so forth, starting back in her body again, it's been completely gone since deliverance this week. Now, again, as soon as you start thinking about deliverance, all of a sudden the enemy comes against you and says, no, don't do this, don't do that. There's, this is going to happen. That's going to happen. And there's a struggle. But when you step out, all the promises of God are completed in your life once you're obedient to the Lord. Again, I said, if we'll meet his requirements, he's duty bound to fulfill his promises. And he says, you shall know the truth and the truth will make you free. Satan says, you do that and you'll get into bondage. No, we're free in Jesus Christ. So when we talk about not being conformed, we said this morning that to conform means to masquerade in the mannerisms, the speech and expressions, the styles and habits of the world of which you know are no longer representative. I didn't get to stay on that a long time this morning, but again, I want to emphasize to you, none of us any longer need to represent this world. They've got enough representatives. God says, now I want you to represent your kingdom. This world is not your home. You're citizens of heaven. If ye then be risen with Christ, seek those things which are above, where your citizenship is in heaven. Really, we're aliens here in this world now. We're having a close encounter of another kind with God. He's come and come down and met us and become a reality to us. And this is simply a bridge, as it were, into that which we know and expect to have happen to us. So if this is not our home, then we should not be representative of this home, of this world. When people see us, they should see us as totally other. I'm sure some do. I said this morning we tend... Because we, we masquerade, trying to appease the world and conform with the world so that we don't, don't get in trouble, we try to, to masquerade at, home, at, at work. Consequently, our witness is weakened and, and diluted. We also do it in our church services. And by the grace of God, I don't want that to happen. I said this morning, whatever the Spirit of God shows us we need to do in worship and praise the Lord, I want to do it. But I never want it to be something that has to be pumped up and whooped up and charged up and forced. I've been in services where I've seen them actually try to work them up and work them up and work them up. And when that didn't work, finally I've heard the pastor say, Amen, 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 come on, Hallelujah, Hallelujah. And before long, just to get that kind of response, they got the people excited. And I'm concerned about that type of working again on the flesh to get everything excited. I believe that the Spirit of God moves in such a sweet, wonderful, quiet way that we don't have to push. When God, the Spirit, moves into a body and begins to, to work in the lives of those individuals, it's going to be felt. So there's two extremes again. I don't know why I'm always, the Lord always bringing me to talk about extremes. The one is where they try to whoop it up and the other is where they don't do anything. But 
Then the middle is God has to do it in our midst. But I never want to have the Lord impress me to do something and feel like, I, well, I don't dare do that because there's sinners here this morning. Ern Baxter was trying to build a, a church, a successful church, he said. And he had been witnessing to a very, very influential woman in his community. And she had never come to church. And one night she came to church and he saw her sit down. He thought, oh boy, I've got to be careful tonight. I've really got to be careful. I don't want to do anything to drive her away now. And so he said, we tried to have a nice, quiet evening. He said, boy, whenever you try that, look out because God has a sense of humor. He said, first of all, we just started singing. And I played the piano as well as sang, he said. And as I, I was playing there, I looked up as we were beginning to praise the Lord. I thought we'd keep it all in order, but then they started clapping and they got into a rhythm and before long, one of my head deacons jumped up, elders jumped up and started a victory dance. And I thought, oh no. He said, I dropped my head thinking, Lord, somehow don't let her see this. Close her eyes to this, you know. Don't let her get involved in this. How am I ever going to talk to her again? But you see, it was something that the Spirit of God started in that service. He didn't get up and pump it up, but it automatically happened. Like one night here in a service with the men on a Tuesday night, we had a foot washing service. Now, we didn't come saying we're going to have a foot washing service, but the Spirit of God moved in on that body of men that night, and we were weeping and laughing and rejoicing and praising God in a foot washing service. He said he finally had enough nerve to look off to the right like this, and here, who do you think was right behind the leader of the victory march, but this very sophisticated, stiff, very prominent woman in the community. That night after the victory dance was over and the service was finished, that woman came forward and got baptized in the Holy Spirit and started coming to that church. He said, now if I'd have done it my way, I'd have made a very nice formal service all the way through. We tend to conform to the world in order to try to impress them instead of letting the Spirit of God convict them and show them it's a reality. And I have to admit sometimes I'm guilty of this. I don't think we should be as the Pharisees. <laughs> I was out with a couple of pastors the other day and we have a little joke in our family. Wherever we are, I always say, Jeff, you're in the middle, you pray, since you're in the middle. And the other day I was on one end of the table, another pastor on the other end, and the other one sitting on the side. I said to him, I says, you're in the middle, so you go ahead and lead in prayer. He said, well, I usually stand up on my chair whenever I pray in public places. <laughs> the other pastor says, don't do it now, don't do it now. <laughs> Anyhow, but we tend, and when we get out into public, and maybe it's because sometimes we don't ever do it at home either. I've been with some Christians, and we'll sit down to eat, and first thing, just dive in. Just start eating. And I've actually at times said, uh, do you mind if we pray? And it, go ahead. I'm sorry, you know, their mouth's all full and they're embarrassed. But I wonder sometimes when they do that, do they pray at home? Return thanks at home. And if not, why not? I remember what a struggle it was for me as a new Christian, having seen my sister come to Christ and seeing her return thanks every meal when she'd be at home, that after she left, I was saved one night and she left the next day and I went and sat down at the table the next morning. I thought, oh boy, now how do I go about this? My dad was sitting there and I bowed my head and every time I'd bow my head, he'd sit there and cuss at me. But I'll tell you one thing, it sure established in my mind, if I could do it there, I could do it just about anywhere. He'd just sit there and grumble under his breath with swear words about how stupid this was. Sit down and eat your food and quit messing around. Don't go nuts over religion and so forth. But many, many times people go into restaurants and you, you, you listen to them on Sunday and they'll jump and dance and everything else, but when the food comes, they'll go and then start eating. You know what they did? Just passed through what we call an excedrin headache prayer. Or trying to loosen up the forehead a little bit, you know, because their skin is a little bit tight. And no one, really they got it by it. Nobody ever found out about it, but they did get a prayer through. Now why do you suppose we do that? Because we're masquerading in the mannerism and the speech the expressions and styles and habits of the world. They don't do it and we don't want to stick out and be different. 
Consequently, if we're different, we get the disapproval of the world, and consequently we don't do it. We're conformed to the world. Then many times we've conformed in our homes. And it says, be not conformed. And I said this morning, now if we're conforming, that's in rebellion to God, isn't it? All right? In our homes, many, many times. We'll go to the home of a sinner. And we'll never, we'll try not many times. When I say we, I have been guilty of it. Try not to say too much about the Lord. Don't talk to Jesus about them when you get there. You know, just befriend them. Try to get close to them. Try to get their confidence in you so that later on, sometime down the road, you'll be able to share Jesus with them. Don't pray. Don't criticize their lifestyle. Don't ask questions as to why they do things differently. But then when they come to our home, many Christians now, I thank God that many are not like this, but many Christians, when they come in their home, they'll let them smoke, they'll let them drink, they'll let them cuss, they'll let them watch whatever they want to on the television set, they can bring the booze in and stick it in the refrigerator. Don't want to criticize them now. When the non-Christians come, if you go to see the non-Christians, they don't think a thing of saying, hey, come on, let's go to church on Sunday morning. But when non-Christians come to your home, many, many Christians will say, well, we had visitors in, so we just didn't go to the services. It's conforming. They don't conform for you when you come to their house. They don't say, well, since you're coming, we're automatically going to get our clothes clean and we're going to go to church with you. But when they come to your house, how many times you say, well, we had visitors pop in, so we just stayed home. For Why? Why shouldn't you say as Jesus would have? It is my custom on the Lord's day to go to the house of the Lord. We'd love for you to come along. But you see, that is the one time of the week that we get the fellowship of the rest of the body of Christ and hear God's words preached and share and worship and praise the Lord together. We just want you to come along with us. No, I don't want to. All right, fine. Listen, you stay right here. We've got the newspaper here. We've got all these things. But as for us and for our house, we're going to serve the Lord. We're going to go to church and we'll be back later. But you see, we're influenced. We're influenced by the pressures of the world. And Paul says, don't do that. Don't let the world squeeze you into its mold. But you be a completely, totally different kind of person in all manner of living. Satan has got us trained just like a dog. When I was about 12, 13 years of age, I went out on a truck route with my brother who was picking up eggs and chickens and turkeys and everything. And one of the farmhouses had two little puppies. One was just all curly from head to foot, white, pure white. The other was long-haired, was white with brown spots. And I had my choice, so I took the, the brown and white one, and I brought it home, hoping my father would let me have it. Well, there it was. My brother brought it all the way in from the farm, and what was he going to say? He didn't want me to have a dog at that time, but since it was there already, and after I, you know, did all the things that we know what to do in order to get what we want, he said, oh, all right, but you're going to be responsible for that dog. Now, I want to tell you, I was determined that that was going to be my dog, and that dog was going to be the smartest dog in the community. I started working on that dog. I taught that dog how to sit, how to speak, how to play dead, how to roll over, how to say his prayers, how to sneeze. I would sit his hind feet on my belt and put his little paws up over my shoulder. He weighed 12 pounds, ringing wet when he was full grown. Jump on my bicycle and run all over town and that dog would be hanging on my shoulder and I could tell him to stay. That dog would be running across the yard full speed and I'd say, Fluffy, stay. And he would just hit the brakes and just roll, trying to stop fast enough. He'd get in trouble, I'd say, get! He'd, he'd take right off. Sit up! He'd be right up just like that. And when I started seeing what the devil has done to men and women today and has influenced them in the body of Christ, I thought that's just exactly the way Satan has the church. He'll say, be lonesome! I'm lonesome. Be afraid! Oh, I'm full of fear. How many Christians you know going around with fear in their hearts? Why are you afraid? God's not giving me a spirit. I don't know, I'm just afraid. 
I just have fear in my heart all the time. Well, do something about it. No, I just I can't do anything about it. I've tried to do something, but no. I can do all things through Christ to strengthen me. Don't you know that verse? I know that verse, but oh, I'm afraid. Satan says, get angry. <sighs> you know you shouldn't act like that as Christian. I can't help it. When they say those things and do they say, I just can't help it. It's there. Well, do something about it. Jesus has set you free. I just can't help it. Get it. See? Same thing. Just like a dog. Hello? Isn't that true? How many Christians do we know? Satan has brainwashed us to think, I've got to do these things. You're worth nothing. You're not worth anything. Oh, I know it. I'm just not worth anything. You come to them and you say, the word of God says that you've been accepted in the beloved. Yeah, but I'm not worth anything. I'm no good as a mother. No good as a parent. No good as a wife or a husband. I'm no good at my job. I'm no good. Who told you that? Well, I'm just not. Is that what the word of God says? I don't know. Well, see what the word of God says. You're a chosen generation, a royal priesthood. I know it, but I'm just no good. Satan has buffaloed us. Be depressed. Oh, I'm depressed. I have Christians come around and say, Oh, I've been so depressed this last week, I just want to end it all. Why? I don't know. Just want to end it all. Satan said, get depressed, huh? Oh, I don't know who it was. Well, who else would do it? I mean, does Jesus go around saying, get depressed? He says, I'm coming that you might have life and have it more abundantly. Oh, but I'm depressed. Now, I'm not criticizing. I'm helping you to see a truth. It's my hand. It does what I tell it to do. It's my eyes. They do what I tell them to do. It's my mind. It will do what I want it to do. And I want it to do what God's Word says. Amen? Now, it takes an act of my will. And if Satan has beaten you down and trained you like I trained that dog, to where that dog didn't even question when I said jump, he said how high on the way up, then it's time that you change masters. I went away to college and I came back one year later and I said to Fluffy, sit up. He was laying over next to my father and he looked at me and went, <laughs> I said, up, sit up. I said, that stupid dog, what's the matter? Dad says, he's got a new master now. You've been gone for a year. I don't know how long it would have taken me to get him to do it again. But I'm telling you, Jesus says, I'm your new master. You don't have to obey the old one anymore. Think hatred. Think jealousy. Think filth. Mm. Just can't get those dirty thoughts out of my mind. I just can't help myself. Every time I see that person, I just get jealous all over. Just can't. Who says you can't help yourself? It's your mind. Philippians 4, 8. Whatsoever things are true. Whatsoever things are honest. Whatsoever things are just. Whatsoever things are pure. Whatsoever things are lovely. Whatsoever things are of good report. If there be any virtue and if there be any praise, what? Think on these things. Quit thinking of that garbage. But I've got to. I've done it all my life. Quit it. You've got a new master. Don't be conformed to this world anymore. We will continue to be conformed until we're ready to have our minds reprogrammed and renewed by the Word of God. When they tell me, I have to do it, I can't help myself, I simply say, you have not allowed your mind to be conformed to and by the Word of God. Don't say you have to think that anymore. Don't say you can't help yourself anymore. I can do what? How many? Say it again. Give me a confession. My mind is my mind. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Jesus is my Lord. I've given my mind to Him. I will be obedient to the Word of God. Satan is no longer my master. 
I'll think the thoughts that God tells me to think. I'll no longer think the thoughts that Satan wants me to think. It's my mind. And in Jesus' name, I have decided to think God's Word. Amen. Praise the Lord. Be not conformed. And it goes on and says the next phrase there is, Be not conformed to what? Be not conformed to this world. Now we have to understand again what the concept of this world really is. Now please, let me stop a minute. I, I feel that there's a struggle going on in some lives here tonight because of this truth is coming out. Right now is when you can begin to stand on this truth. Right now something's telling some of you probably don't listen to this. Now, if you're going to go on following what Satan's told you all your life, you'll have to go on doing it. I'm telling you now, you're in rebellion to God if you don't quit being conformed to what the devil tells you to do and think. You tonight, as an act of your will, say, I will listen and I will understand and I'll be a doer of the Word of God and see if God won't set you free. You have to do it. It's not God's job. It's your job. What does it mean by the world? A Greek concept of the word world here is described as follows. It's a floating mass of thoughts, opinions, speculations, hopes, impulses, aims, and aspirations that occur at any time. The world. This is what is termed the world in the Greek concept. The world is a floating mass of thoughts, opinions, speculations, hopes, impulses, aims, and aspirations that occur at any time. So we have to say, what does... What does the world think about different things? It's just a floating mass of thoughts out here and aspirations and so forth. What does the world think of security? When you think of, I want to be secure. Money, 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 money. Give me, give me, give me. Get me strong and wealthy and then I'll have everything and I'll have security. What does the Word of God say? He that keepeth his life shall lose it, but he that loseth his life for my sake and the gospel shall find it. That I am secure in Jesus Christ. What shall it profit a man if he gain the whole world and lose his own soul? Now you see, that's a totally different thought than the world. Ask someone what the world thinks about sex. The next word they think of is lust. To a Christian, if you understand God's Word, when you think about sex, you think of something that's beautiful. Something that's perfect that God has created and intended for the pleasure and enjoyment of man and woman and procreation. But the world, all you have to do is look at the newspapers and watch television and read magazines today. You'll see what they think of it. That's that mass of floating thoughts and opinions and speculations and so forth. What about modesty? Well, the minute you talk about modesty, they laugh at you today. That's prudery. What do they call it? Yes, Victorian. That's right. They're Victorian in their thinking. Neo-Christian Victorianism. Fidelity. What does the world think about fidelity? Being true, being faithful, being honest. What is it they say in real estate? Creamte or something like that? Let the buyer beware. That's what they think about fidelity today. As long as you can keep your eye on me, trust me. You can trust me, but boy, turn your eyes for a minute and I'm going to get you. Now that's basic feeling that you find in the world today. That's not what you find in the Word of God. What does the world think about covenant agreements? Well, just look at Russia and China today. You'll get a pretty good idea what they think about it. Look at the, some of our politicians in Washington today. You'll see what they think about it. They stand up and preach righteousness and justice and 
all these things, and then all of a sudden you find that they got their linen all dirty and spotted from shady deals and under-the-table money and so forth. This is that floating mass of thoughts and opinions. What does the world think about marriage and divorce? Now, let me tell you something. There you're going to get into trouble because it's so embedded in the church, too, that you're going to have a hard time making a line of division between what the world and what the church thinks. I just want to tell you this much. If you'll just think the opposite of what the world thinks, you'll be a lot closer to God. Did you hear me? Whatever their hopes and aspirations and thoughts are, that floating mass of things, think the opposite. And you'll be a lot closer to what God really thinks. The scripture says, walk not in the counsel of the one, of the ungodly. Don't go by the standards that the world sets. Be not conformed to this world. The world, again, is a floating mass of thoughts, opinions, speculations, hopes, impulses, aims, aspirations that occur at any time which it may be impossible to adequately define which it may be impossible to adequately define. Now, there is a very interesting thing. There are a lot of things in the world that you just can't nail down what is worldly and what is other than worldly. But when you look to the source of it, in most cases you'll find it's in the world. What does the world think about entertainment? What does the church think about entertainment? What does the world think about dress codes? What does the church think about dress codes? You uh, heard what happens to pastors when they get up and start talking about dress codes? Who does he think he is telling me how to dress? Well, I'll put my hemline where I want to put my hemline. I'll put my neckline where I want to put my neckline. And I'll do all these other things that I want. You can't find a scripture verse to tell me what to do there, Brother Webb. That's right. But the word says, be not conformed to this world. And I can't tell you where it should be, but I do know this. That if you listen to the Holy Spirit, it'll be a long ways off from the standard that the world is setting. I can't tell you how to dress, but I know one thing. When I find people getting closer to the Lord, I see the hemline go down and the neckline go up. The closer they get to the Lord. This brother that I told you that was preaching some on this subject, Ellis Wilbert, he says an amazing thing when people walk down the street and see someone with their hair up in a bun, tied up in a bun on the back and no makeup and Long sleeves and long skirt line and everything, they'll say Pentecostal. <laughs> Pentecostal. Women will just, you know, that's Pentecostal. I never thought about it this way before, but he says, Why do you do that? Why does that bother you? What is it that's in a woman to make them say, That's Pentecostal? They don't go around saying, That's Baptist, or That's Presbyterian, or That's Methodist, or That's Catholic. Is there a message in that, he said? Does it bother some women that God has spoken to a certain group called Pentecostal and told them that that was modesty or something? And where the rest of the women say, oh, I don't know. But you see, you can't put your finger on anything. You can't say, do this and do that. I know that. But we have to say, why do I dress the way I do? Am I following the trends and the, the new dress codes that the world is putting out? And I don't know about you, but I know that many, many, many who are in the the head of the designing world, making up clothes, have some very unusual partners. And their standards are far, far, far from God. In fact, in many cases, they're people that the Word of God says God has given them up and God has given them over to a reprobate mind to do that which is unseemly. And their program and their goal, in many cases, is to make the woman look as masculine as possible. We could come to talking about drinking alcohol. 
Now, preacher, don't start. See, it's impossible to adequately define this now. The world makes it look refined. I mean, who would ever take a picture of a man lying down in the gutter with vomit and flies all over him and wine running down his shirt and say, this is what we want to do to you? They don't do that. They have a distinguished looking man with a chandelier above him of pure crystal, nice candles and silver and these, uh, these goblets of crystal on the table and sitting there drinking this fine brew, something that's eloquent. And so now today, I, it wasn't too long ago, I sat with a pastor who is a seminary graduate. And he said when he's in seminary, some of the seminarian students enjoyed so much being able to go to their homes where no one could see them, but a couple of the couples would get together and they would just enjoy drinking wine together. Some would say, now, Pastor, don't get all over me if I do. I'm not going to get over it anymore. I'm not going to get all over it. The Scripture says in Psalm 16:2, all the ways of a man are clean in his own eyes. Everything that you and I do, we can, if we look for it, we can find a reason to justify it. This is the way and reason I dress the way I dress. This is the way I walk the way I walk, talk the way I talk, drink the things I drink, eat the things I eat. There's no question in my mind that every one of us can find a rationale for doing it because it's a floating mass of thoughts, opinions, speculations, hopes, impulses, aims, and aspirations that occur at any time which it may be impossible to adequately define. There is no verse that says, Thou shalt not drink red chablis or whatever they call the stuff. It doesn't say that anywhere. Neither does it say thou shalt not drink Miller's High Life. Neither does it say that you shouldn't drink Three Fathers Feather or Three Feathers Father or whatever it is. It doesn't say that anywhere. But it does say be holy as I'm holy and don't be a stumbling block to someone else. But you see, a preacher can't come and say don't do this anymore. Now I've been in Baptist churches where I've had Baptist preachers say it right from the pulpit. If there's anyone I ever find out anyone that's in membership in this church that even drinks any alcoholic beverage socially... I will personally go before the board of deacons and have them put out of the membership. Well, number one, we don't have a membership. Number two, that's not going to make the difference. The only thing I think we need to do is if Paul says don't be conformed to this world, we have to go back and say upon what premise is there some scripture principle that causes me to be more like Jesus, that causes me to do these things that can't be adequately defined. And if it isn't, because of the Holy Spirit leading and directing me to be able to do those things that I can do them freely at any time and never feel that I'd be a stumbling block even if I came into a position of leadership, then I can go ahead and do it. But otherwise, all the ways of a man are right in his own eyes. No question in my mind we can justify what we want to do. And we'll do it and do it and we'll have those arguments ready. You know what I found out though? Every time I have to have an argument ready to explain why I'm doing what I'm doing, I better check my motive. See, only the Holy Spirit can show you what's right and what's wrong. I know what I believe and I'm trying to live it. And I can't tell you how to live, but I'm, I'm saying that Paul says we're in rebellion to God if we're conformed to this world and its thoughts and its opinions. I try to ask the Holy Spirit to make me very, very sensitive to what the Word of God says about these things. First of all, make me very sensitive to the needs and weaknesses of my brothers and sisters in Christ. Make me very sensitive to what my walk and talk, what impression it will make on the world. And upon that basis, I have to say, Lord, from whence do I get this standard to do or not do the things I'm doing? Because it's a floating, I'm going to go on now, it's a floating mass of thoughts, opinions, speculations, hopes, impulses, aims, aspirations, 
that occur at any time which may be impossible to adequately define, yet it constitutes an effective power of influence. Yet, even though you can't define it, it has a definite effective power of influence upon us. The world does. We're influenced by the world whether we want to say it or not, whether we want to admit it or not. Be not conformed to this world. And yet there are all those opinions and speculations and hopes and aspirations that occur all the time and they make an effective influence on us. We don't like criticism. We don't like ridicule. And so we learn how to buffer our lives in such a way that we kind of slide smoothly into the things and around the things of the world and the people of the world so that we don't jar them. And yet, the Word of God says to the Christian, Blessed are you when men shall revile you and persecute you for what? Righteousness sake. What? Come on. What do you mean you don't do this or you don't do it? Why don't you do it? Well, I just don't feel that that's what God wants. Well, I know all these other people down the streets do it. All these other churches do it. I understand that. But you see, I feel that I don't dare be conformed to the world and the Holy Spirit's convicted me of that. Oh, that's kind of ridiculous. Well, I can understand why you would say that. Not being critical, but you could go on to say, now look, you serve your God and I'll serve mine. And we'll see which one's stronger. But we don't like to be criticized. We don't like to be ridiculed. All the ways of a man are clean in his own eyes. How aware are we? Now, if it doesn't have an effective influence on let me ask you. How much are we influenced by the dress, the latest fashions? How many of us have got some pants hanging in our closet we won't wear anymore because they're too tight-legged? I can remember when I had pants in my closet that were too, too loose-legged. You think we aren't influenced by the pressures of the world, the, the aspirations and hopes and standards of the world? I can remember when you had the old baggy pants that went right from here on down, straight down, big and baggy. And before long, then they were really tight, so skin tight that I could hardly get them off my calf. And then suddenly, see, that wasn't the latest style. Now it's, we're back to the bell bottom, first of all, and then they're starting to loosen up a little bit. And they've gone from a wide belt to this narrow belt. And I remember when I was in the ministry and the young people come around to me and they'd say, Pastor, what are you doing with a skinny belt on yet? I said, what's the matter with it? Oh, we don't wear those anymore. We're thick belts now. I said, oh, really? See, that effective influence it has on us. I, I don't think that sometimes we're even aware of it. I had a person not too long ago, we were having lunch, and someone else walked in, sat down, and he looked over and he said, boy, that's a nice shirt. He says, thank you. He said, it's thus and such a style, I see. And he says, it's got seven buttons down the front, and that's always a quality shirt, I thought. Yeah. Here I had a six-button shirt on, almost one like this, you know. <laughs> Very much aware of it. And then I, I know some other people that go around, whenever you see them, they'll always have either a word right here or a word over here or a word over here or a word on the back of their heel or something on the back pocket of their pants, you know. And, and they'll go around and they'll look to see if everybody else has that on their pants. Like it, it's an effective influence. We're influenced by that. I've been in homes and I've seen people when they take my coat, go like this. Look, see what make it is. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. <laughs> no. We're impressed. We're influenced by those things. I remember how, how good I felt one time when somebody did that and it was a coat that had been given to me sometime before and inside it said Hart Schaffner and Marks. Oh, can't get any better than that one, you know. We're influenced by these thoughts. Shoes. First it was pointed toes. Then big, fat, wide toes. Then real high heels for girls. Look how they're going to fall on their face. Then these great big clubs on the back of their shoes. 
And once they started wearing those big clubs, you didn't dare walk out with those little skinny heels. I thank God that the hemline finally stopped. I mean it. Yeah. Seriously. Women come into church and sit in the front pew. You couldn't see their skirt, you could see their girdle. That's all you could see on their legs. But they went right on. I don't know what would have happened if it would have kept going. Really. Aspirations, opinions, thoughts, a floating mass that can happen at any time which has an effective influence on us. And I cannot find one verse in the Word of God that says that we're to follow that type of a standard, and yet we do it. Some young people wouldn't dare, wouldn't think of going to school with a skirt line one inch longer than what the rest of them have. Praise God. My wife and Jody waited all the way through that. And now they're back down to where they were. Just saved them an awful lot of cutting off and buying new. What was it Abby said? Doesn't even profess to be a Christian, dear Abby. She said, I think any lady should wear a dress long enough to be modest and short enough to be ladylike and feminine. But you see, you can't adequately define these things, but they have an influence and an impact on our lives. Hairstyles. I got a new officer this week. Praise the Lord. Doesn't Ed look nice with his new hairstyle? I like it. Who am I to complain? <laughs> Keep pulling it down. And, you know, after a while, it just doesn't do any good anymore. Hairstyle. It's an amazing thing to me, though. I've been in some churches where they wouldn't put on a touch of lipstick. First, now, let me just state this before we go any further so no one's going to think I'm just terrible, you know. I, I've always felt that if a barn needs paint, put it on. <laughs> you know, if it looked nice or a little bit of paint on it, paint it, you know. <laughs> But I've never liked to look at a barn with pain running down it. Have you, huh? I mean, just enough. I think that if, if a woman does what's necessary to look attractive and not to draw attention to herself, that's good. It's pleasing and as far as I'm concerned. It's when they do it to draw attention to themselves, then it becomes a self-motivating thing. But I don't think God wants us to go around looking like a, an old dowdy. I think Christian ladies should be beautiful. But I, I started to say some churches... Some denominational groups that wouldn't think. They'd be horrified if you put on any kind of makeup whatsoever. And yet they'll pay $30 for a hairstyle that goes clear up here like the, you know, every direction. And they'll think nothing of that. That's not sin at all. It has an effective influence in our lives. It has an effective influence when it comes to witnessing. Again, I say, we look at the book of Acts and we say, now we're a New Testament church. The disciples, after the day of Pentecost, began to preach the gospel. The Jewish leaders grabbed them and brought them in before the Sanhedrin, and they said, we want you to stop this. You're not to preach anymore. I don't want you to mention Jesus anymore. And they said, whatever you say, done. Forget it. You've heard the last of him. We don't want to create any problems. Peter stepped forth and he said, men and brethren, let me just say to this to you, we have a choice that we have to make. Now, we either have to listen to you or we have to listen to God. We're going to listen to God. We cannot do anything else but preach the gospel. And they went out, and when they went to their prayer meeting, they got down and they said, Lord God, we're really scared now. We hope that you'll, you'll really help us because these guys can do a lot of harm to us. They were really influenced by the world in that day. That isn't what he said. They said, Lord... We thank you for the privilege we've had to be to suffer for Jesus' sake. 
And now, Lord, give us all the more boldness and begin to perform more miracles at our hands so we can let more people know about the gospel. They weren't influenced by what the standards of the world were. When they said, shut up about Jesus, they got all the louder about it. Paul and Silas were in Philippi. And they grabbed them and stripped them and beat them with a cat of nine tails and put them down in the prison. And there they were down in the dungeon with their feet and their hands in chains. And they're singing, woe is me, woe is me, woe is me. Never again will we say another word about Jesus. We've had it. Next time we're going to use more tact. We'll set up a coffee house and invite them in and let them have coffee and free donuts for a week and just get to know them first. And then after they get to know us and trust us, then we'll kind of slip a gospel track to them. I'm not being facetious. I'm having a little fun with it here to try to bring across a point to you. Paul and Silas being filled with the Holy Ghost and convinced that Jesus was the Christ, the Son of the living God, at midnight sat down in that dungeon. And what did they do? I will bless the Lord at all times. His praise shall continually be in my mouth. My soul shall make her boast in the Lord. The humble shall hear thereof and be glad. Oh, magnify the Lord with me and let us exalt his name together. I sought the Lord and he heard me and he delivered me from all my fears. Boom! The chains fell off, the doors opened, the Holy Spirit let him out of prison and they went out to preach all the harder. Now, how many of us have gotten the cat of nine tails across our back for witnessing for Jesus yet? Because Satan has programmed our minds to where that floating mass of opinions that comes at any time, has an effective influence upon us that when we start to witness for someone and they say, I don't want to hear any of that stuff, we say, well, I better be a little more tactful. I better just be careful, not push it too far. I need to use a little more wisdom in witnessing. How many of you have heard somebody say that? Now, you know, there are some youth groups today that, that are working on campuses and their philosophy is don't try to get them to make a decision. Just work with them all year. Just befriend them and have fun and parties and so forth. Then we'll try to get them to a camp. And when we get them to the camp, then we'll win them to Christ. They didn't have enough money in the New Testament to build a camp. So they had to do it otherwise. They had to win them to everywhere they found them. Win them to Jesus Christ. Now, I, I'm again saying we're being influenced by the opinions of the world. And Paul says, be not conformed to this world, but be transformed. Don't let the world squeeze us into its mold. These things have an effective influence on us, how we act and how we react. And again, I told you, this is my purpose for trying to bring this truth to you. We have allowed an effective power of influence on us concerning marriage, divorce, and remarriage. And what the Word of God has to say about that. I cannot begin to tell you all of the verses that have been pulled out of anything and everything and set before me to try to convince me that God couldn't surely have meant that. Why? It says this and it says that. In one place where Paul was even speaking to widows and single people and said it's better to remain in the state that you're in. But if you can't, it's better to marry than to burn. They said, see, now that's what it's saying to divorcees. I said, no, 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 that's not what it's saying. It's saying that to single people and to widows or widowers. Now, if you can't remain single, Paul said, it's better for you to stay just as you are, knowing the circumstances in which we're living today, all the persecution against the church. They said, oh, no, no, it says here that if you can't stand it, you're going to burn, why well, you should go ahead and get remarried. And 
pulling the word from every place, trying to make it fit in. And if it, any of that is true, then Jesus didn't know what he was talking about and Paul was not speaking with any understanding whatsoever because both of them were so absolute on this subject. But you know what's happened? This floating mass of opinions and ideas and thoughts that can happen at any time it has had an effective influence on the church to where if 40 years ago this message had been preached, everybody said, Amen, Hallelujah, brother, preach it. But today, don't say that. Shut up about that. I've got friends. If you only knew these nice people over here, why they're serving the Lord, they're active in this church. Preacher, don't tell us that. The renewing of your mind by the Word of God. I struggled for two years over that thing because God had to renew my mind on that subject. And as much as I didn't want to preach it, I said if it's in God's Word, I'll preach it. And I, only God knows the struggle that I had with that thing. And since then, the struggle that has been within the body because of that. Preacher, you don't understand the circumstances of this particular... Would you say that that couple should do thus and such? Are you trying to say that that woman and that man with all those kids are supposed to... All the ways of a man are right in his own eyes. Every situation will have an explanation. They can tell you why it happened and how it happened and where it happened and when it happened and why it should have happened. But I believe God. God surely couldn't mean that. Yes, He does. Floating mass of opinions and thoughts that has an effective influence on us. Be ye transformed by the renewing of your mind to and by the Word of God. We have to come to the place where we say, I cannot go by circumstances. I cannot go by experience. I must go by what the Word of God says because it's by that that I will be judged in that day. Hello? Ooh, that was a weak one. It's by that that I'm going to be judged. Heaven and earth will pass away, but my word will never pass away. But preacher, are you sure you've got the right translation of that? Are you sure you haven't missed a higher truth? Brother Bobby, how many sets of tapes have gone out on that now? 200, okay, I thought it was more than that. 200 sets of tapes. How many times on that set of tapes did I say if there's anyone, any pastor, any brother that has something that can show me something that I've missed in the Word of God, please let me know. I wish you could know how many pastors I have delivered these tapes to, sat down with and set it before them and said, Brethren, God has given me something here in His Word. I know you've been in the ministry for years. You know the Word. You have a fine library here. You can search it out for yourself. I'm going to ask you as a friend to do something, to take time and to study these tapes. Sit down with your Bible and go through it and take notes on these tapes and search the Word of God. And will you promise me when you're through that you will either send me a note or call me or we'll get together for lunch or anything so that you can show me what I've missed? Absolutely, Brother Joe, I will. There's no question. You can count on it. Call them back. Are you through yet? Just about through. I said, now be sure to get, oh, I will. They won't call me back. They won't give me a scripture verse. They say, Brother Joe, we can't give you a scripture verse. We can't see any other thing. Brother Webb, evidently God's given you a revelation here, and it's just, I don't know how you can preach it. Do you know that the night that I preached, finished this series, we were over to, I think it was Carol Sapps. I got a phone call. It was another pastor in the Orlando area with whom I had sat down and explained this position. Brother Webb, don't preach that message to your congregation. I said, why? He said, I took it before my congregation and I explained it to them and you can't believe what happened. I said, what did you say? He said, well, I didn't preach it as though I believed it. I simply got up and said there is a pastor in the Orlando area that has said this is what God has shown him. I want to share it with you and see what you get out of it. 